Are you feeling frustrated by mid-century kitchen layout problems? Don't reinvent the wheel. Learn how other people with houses just like yours have updated their kitchens. Hey there, welcome back to Mid-Mod Remodel. This is the show about updating MCM homes, helping you match a mid-century home to your modern life. I'm your host, Della Hansman, architect and mid-century ranch enthusiast. You're listening to season five, episode three. Today, we're gonna talk about mid-century kitchen layout problems. Nearly every mid-century kitchen has a layout that can be problematic for the way that a modern family likes to use their cooking and eating and hanging out space. Now, in episode one of this season, I pointed out the remodeling roadmap, which lays out the steps of planning a remodel in order. Solving layout problems is getting just slightly ahead of ourselves, but this topic follows so well on from last week's interview with Sarah Archer that I couldn't resist doing it now. Next week, we'll pull back from the more big picture questions of moving workspaces around and dig into the nitty gritty with questions and answers about kitchen building code. For today, however, we get to play with kitchen layouts. By the way, if you wanted to take another glance at that handy roadmap, grab it from midmod-midwest.com roadmap. And as always, you'll find the show notes with links to the references I'm making and the outline of the conversation we're having on my website at midmod-midwest.com 503. In the third episode I ever recorded of the podcast, I took a little time to talk about what had stayed the same and what has changed about our lives since these sweet mid-century era ranch houses we all love were built. One of the most prominent areas of change centers on the kitchen. When Sarah and I were talking last week, she pointed out that any adult today could probably walk into any mid-century kitchen through a time portal or some other hypothetical and pull together a meal. Or vice versa, our grandparents would recognize most of the modern-day kitchen's pieces of equipment. That is certainly not true if we go further back, say 100 years, to a kitchen from the 1920s. You'd practically have to invent fire to make a cup of tea in that kitchen. But still, our cultural mores and our family structures have changed since the 50s. The ideas of efficiency and food prep as home economics labor, which led to the popularity of a kitchen work triangle, for example, just don't hold as true anymore. Whichever family member is responsible for making dinner tonight still wants to get the job done efficiently and easily, but that job doesn't look the same. If that person is you, and since you're listening to this episode, I suspect it is, you're probably not going to cook a brisket from scratch with three sides. You might be more concerned with easy access to the dishwasher than the oven, and you might have a lot more company in the kitchen than your grandmother would have had when she prepped a meal. What's more, the way you're cooking dinner tonight is probably much more distinct from the way your neighbors on either side of you are cooking than your grandmother's dinner plans were from her neighbors. Kitchens have become much more personal, individual, and as such, they have a bunch of layout needs that come back to those questions I asked you in the first episode of the season. What do you need out of your kitchen? Let's talk with that in mind about common kitchen layouts in a mid-century house. We'll take these in order from snug to grand. The smallest would be a single line or a one-wall kitchen. While many mid-century kitchens are small, it's actually pretty rare to see one that has only a single wall of counter space. Remember, homeowners were excited about the efficiency in their kitchens. They were thinking about the work triangle. So you'll typically see a one-wall kitchen showing up more in an apartment building than a mid-century ranch. I should say, the best kitchen I ever cooked in was also the smallest. It was in a one-bedroom apartment in a 1930s-era apartment block in La Crosse, Wisconsin. The layout of my corner unit had the bath and bedroom against the hallway with a milk delivery slot, and then a living room and kitchen against the exterior wall. The kitchen was a single wall of cabinets with a sink, range, and room for an undercounter fridge, all tucked in to what could be closed off as a closet. 
The apartment management had replaced that with a full-size fridge standing kind of awkwardly in the corner. And then I augmented the workspace with a two foot by four foot butcher block island from Ikea, set in an angle, turned the fridge to a 45 degree to match the angle, and created a pantry with a four foot long full height shelf of Ikea shelving. The result was a tiny command center where I had just enough storage space for my single girl pots and pans and supplies and ample workspace. And I cooked in that kitchen. I could pivot on one step and get to the fridge, the sink, the tiny, I think it was 18 inches wide range, and the little bit of counter between them to my pantry and the work surface on the butcher block. I actually went through a bakery phase where I made numerous frosted layer cakes. I replicated Halloween candy from scratch. I made ravioli by hand. It was amazing. But I digress. You're unlikely to find this in a mid-century house. The too small style of kitchen, which is much more common, is a tight galley kitchen layout. I've seen this in a number of ranches I've worked on. A galley kitchen has two parallel walls of counter space with a walking area, sometimes a hallway, running between them. One of the smallest kitchens I've ever remodeled was laid out like this. You walked in the front door to a snug coat hallway with a doorway open on the right. Turning in, you were in a channel about 42 inches across with only 8 feet of counter on either side, including the fridge. One person could barely turn around in that kitchen. Yikes. Also, since it was located at the front of the house, and the house itself was right up against its front yard setback, there was no way to add in that direction. Our best option for that kitchen ended up to be to relocate the kitchen into a side yard addition, which expanded it into the previous dining area. On that spot, we weren't pinched between the front walls and the basement stairs. We had more room to spread out and created a workable U-shaped layout. Now, in some cases, a galley layout is between two full-height walls, as it was in that case. In others, it can be open on one side, facing a dining or social area. There's a lovely original kitchen in a house I love to follow on Insta, at Hankin House. I'll link to it in the show notes. Their galley kitchen has a solid wall on one side and a sort of a raised knee wall protecting the other half of the counter, which looks into the dining area. The effect is very visually open, and for a family where only one partner prefers to cook and cooks mostly solo, that can work really well. The person doing the food prep isn't isolated, but they have an efficient area to carry out their projects. Many times, though, a galley kitchen can seem constricting to a modern family. If there are door openings on both ends, it can awkwardly double as a hallway and be challenging for two or more people to cook at the same time. In some cases, though, opening up the wall between the galley kitchen and the adjacent eating area can be an opportunity to fit in a surprise island, which is much more multi-user friendly. All right, next up, we have the L-shaped kitchen. This is a very common layout for builder-grade mid-century homes. It's the style I have in my own house and the one my sister is working with in her new mid-century ranch. It was very popular because it was easy to fit into a snug layout with flexible arrangements of windows on outside walls, typically the one over the sink, and doors on interior walls leading to the basement, the dining area, the backyard, or another bedroom. In fact, I have all four of those doors in my own kitchen. A lot of doors makes for a complicated layout. It takes up a lot of the wall space and creates weird circulation patterns that have to be accounted for. So this is something to try to avoid or moderate when you remodel a kitchen cutting down the number of doors that open into it and the passageways that go through it. Something that recently came up in my kitchen is I'm thinking of replacing the hardware. And as I was looking for kits to change out the visible hinges on my cabinet doors, I noticed that I could find a vintage style inset hinges in a cost-effective contractor's 50 pack, two per door. So I counted my cabinet doors and found that I have 25. This could be absolutely a coincidence, I know, but now I wanna know more. If you know something more about the standard number of kitchen cabinet doors in a very builder basic kitchen, give me a shout out on Instagram. But back to that L-shaped layout. 
It works really well for people who like the work triangle theory, but very poorly if you're trying to carry on a conversation while you prep food. All of the workspace faces a wall. The only view out is that sink window, and often in a kitchen like this, there'll be a lot of open space left over in the room for an old-fashioned eat-in kitchen table. If you already have another table space in the house, say a dining area, this is where I recommend a quick fix of adding a butcher block. This is kind of a mini island that you can put in the L of the counter to create a face-the-room workspace, add a little bit of needed counter area, and allow for multiple people to set up workstations without constant hip-checking each other. An L and an island can be even more effective, but you have to have enough space to get around it. I'll be talking about useful uh, minimum clearances a little later in the episode. Uh, Moving along, probably just as common as the L-shaped kitchen for mid-century homes is the U-shaped kitchen. Sometimes that U is tucked into three solid walls, and sometimes the third leg of the U is actually a counter peninsula dividing the kitchen from an eat-in space. These kitchen layouts can often be very effectively modernized with no moving or removing of cabinets and counters, or by pulling out and relocating just any upper cabinets that are interrupting the eyeline between the kitchen and the eat-in space. Here's where you will end up working within the walls of your actual home to create an idealized layout. If we're thinking about the platonic ideal of a U-shaped kitchen, there are certain dimensions where they work and certain where they don't, and that sort of passes through several thresholds. The smallest of U-shaped kitchens with only five feet or so in the U-bend can be efficient for one, but troublesome for any more people to get into. If you get too much wider, they start to become cavernous and empty in the middle. Once you have seven or better eight feet across that U-bend, you can think about sticking in one of those handy center island butcher blocks again. That's the kitchen layout I grew up with, and I love it, both for cooking solo or for pulling together a big holiday meal with my mom and sisters. I have a soft spot for it and look for places where I can design it into other people's homes because I know how great it is. Then, of course, there is a world where space is no object and you can have a kitchen of counter in a U around an island of cabinets in the middle. If so, lucky you. If part of your U is a peninsula, then you might not need an island so desperately. Just make sure you're making good use of the bar stool space on the opposite side from your cook area. Now, the last and most rare kind of mid-century kitchen layout to encounter is an original kitchen island. I've seen these documented in a few really modernist architect-designed houses from the era, but never in a builder-grade ranch. When it comes to kitchen layout changes, you want to weigh a number of factors. If your layout is close to working and you're blessed with your original cabinets being in good shape, I encourage you to think about keeping them. You likely can't find or buy anything more sturdy, and certainly replacing them will be a cost. But if you find that you just can't work with the layout that you've got, you may find that you're working with pulling everything out and replacing it. It's very unlikely you'll be able to salvage at least the structure of your original cabinets because mid-century kitchen cabinets, when not metal installed units, were often built into the house itself. And so to remove them, you basically have to disassemble them. Now, here is a situation that doesn't happen that often, but What can you do when you have lots of space in your kitchen? One recent project I just did a master plan for had been originally designed by an architect for a neighboring family. And he sketched out a basic design, has a very interesting uh, triangular flipped roof line that angles up, and a wide open kitchen dining area that I believe was 24 by 14 feet footprint. Now, that didn't have the original kitchen in it. It had been remodeled in the 90s with sort of an unfortunate 
empty peninsula cherry design that neither matched the style of the original house nor worked very functionally. So we needed to reprise a new mid-century friendly kitchen. They had the original floor plans and I was tickled and baffled to note that in this big open plan space, what the original architect had done was basically inserted a snug, compact U-shaped kitchen. It was almost a G-shape where you kind of close the last piece and you just walk in through a little channel. And then you'd be completely enclosed by both paste cabinets and upper cabinets. It was like a drop-in mid-century kitchen being put into an open plan space. I was charmed and weirded out by it at the same time. We didn't end up proposing anything along those lines, but basically found them the space to do a really generous U-shaped kitchen with a peninsula and a center butcher block. I think that the new space is going to be much more effective for the whole family to cook together in. All right, let's do some basic design guidelines. When you're playing around with kitchen layout updates, you want to keep the following measurements in mind. Base cabinets are typically 24 inches deep. But when every inch counts, you can't forget to account for the thickness of the cabinet or drawer in front of it, which is typically either 5 eighths or 3 quarters of an inch, and the fact that the countertops will overhang those doors. Generally, think of the countertop being 25 inches deep if the base cabinet is 24 inches deep. Wall cabinets are 12 or 15 inches deep, but don't worry too much about that number because I don't recommend using them. For an island... If you only have room to put in a two-foot deep one, I recommend an open-legged butcher block style unit. A closed base cabinet that's only two feet deep can feel a bit graceless. Much better if you've got room for a three-foot or even a 42-inch deep island with room for both base cabinets on one side and knee room for bar stools on the other. Or if you've got more space, first off, I'm surprised, and second, hooray, Put in back-to-back base cabinets for a four-foot deep counter uh, and still niche out a few areas for knees unless you want to keep your kitchen standing room only. When you're thinking about the circulation walking standing space in your kitchen, be generous. This is what makes it possible to share the workspace with more than one person. The ideal amount of space between a wall, base cabinet, and an island is four whole feet. You can squeak by with 42 inches in a pinch, but that's not recommended. If you do have a movable butcher block as the center, you can squeak that down to even three feet, but be realistic. This is a place to try mock-ups and try moving around the space side by side with your spouse. See where you're going to be bumping elbows and hips. When I look at a kitchen that I want to remodel within existing walls, it's pretty easy to see at a glance or at least a first measurement if it will support an island style layout, which everybody asks for or not. All right, a few other things. When you're thinking about fitting in bar stool space at a counter overhang, the depth of the overhang is important. If it's too shallow, you'll be bashing your knees against the counter and you won't enjoy yourself. Now, this is slightly personal because it depends on how long your legs are, but the proper overhang rule of thumb also depends on the height of the counter. Think about it. When you sit in a chair, your legs are at a right angle. They stick out more than when you perch on a stool. So for a 30-inch high or table height surface, you want 18 inches of knee room. For a counter height at 36 inches, you only need 15 inches of overhang. And if you're at more of a bar height with 42 inches, you can get away with 12 inches of overhang. What else? When you're making space for a dining or an eat-in kitchen table, you can often save crucial inches or feet by setting one side of the table up against a wall with a built-in bench instead of keeping room for for chairs and circulating behind them. I love to put a built-in bench into a kitchen because done right, they can be an amazing, loungy, comfortable hangout space. 
If you want your kids doing their homework in the kitchen, or you plan to sometimes make the table into a maybe office, build in a bench, but give it the right dimensions. You need it to be about the height of a chair, 18 inches off the floor. You also want a nice comfortable depth so you don't feel like you're perching, 18 or 20 inches from the front of the seat to the back of the bench. And then ideally, you also want an angled seat back for extra space. You can make this with comfortable cushions, but I like an angled back bench because sitting with your back up to a flat wall is not pleasant. Now, in terms of layout rules of thumb, don't worry too much about the work triangle. As we've discussed, it's an outdated notion, but do consider the flow of items through your kitchen. For example, think about a jug of milk. It comes in with your groceries, which probably need to be set down somewhere, maybe two places as you walk in from the car, into the house, into the kitchen, sort things into the fridge, pantry, and other places they go. Then it goes into the fridge. It's pulled out and set onto a work surface, used and then put back a number of times throughout its life cycle. Finally, when it's empty, it gets rinsed out, either in the sink, popped into the dishwasher, and then dropped into the recycling and carried back out. You could almost think about diagramming this, don't be obsessive, but it is useful to think about the flow of items coming in easily from a kitchen door, being put away in the fridge and pantry where they belong, circulating through the workspaces of the kitchen, and then ending up ready to go out again through recycling or trash. If you have a, even a zone model where you group cooking areas, prep areas, and washing up areas, this can be a really useful way to think about the kitchen. All right, that was probably a lot. I spend a lot of time thinking in my work hours and not an inconsiderable amount of time of my free time focusing on kitchens, wondering how they could be improved, reworking those I visited in my head after hours. To be honest, if you're planning to remodel your kitchen, I think that one of the best and most cost-effective choices you can make more than any material or addition is to solicit some outside help with reconfiguring the layout. This is an area where expertise and collaboration pay off. I'd be delighted if you reached out to me. If you plan to go it alone, my next best advice is to obsessively pay attention to other people's kitchens. When you visit friends, we'll do this someday, when you watch TV, when you look at Instagram and Pinterest, don't limit yourself to liking a kitchen because of the way it looks. Think about successful layouts that are used by people who seem to cook and live their lives the way you'd like to. Play around with multiple possibilities. Using the rules of thumb I laid out and others you might find that work for yourself, features from your current kitchen you like or hate, try as many configurations as you can think of. You won't be wasting your time. You can find some images to go along with all this layout chit-chat on my website in the show notes blog post at midmod-midwest.com slash 503. You'll see an outline of what we covered in the episode too. Help new listeners find the show by adding a rating and review. And if you have kitchen questions of your own, pop over to my regular Wednesday evening clubhouse chat. I'll be in the app from 6 p.m. Central every week for a while now, answering questions, sharing opinions, and just talking about all things mid-mod remodel. Tune in next week for my overview of kitchen building code issues and my explanation of why you should care about them. Talk to you then. Thank you.